So Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 17. So in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1194. So verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For, it is, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, and it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. morning everyone. I'm just going to move this down here. I'm not quite as tall as Joe. Alright. Here we pray uh, and we ask for God's help as we look at that passage together. Uh, gracious Father, uh, you say that uh, your word is useful uh, for teaching and rebuking and correcting and for training in righteousness that we might be equipped for every good work. Uh, and so we ask that you would do in us, through your word, what you've promised to do this morning, uh, that we will be uh, grown in our love for the Lord Jesus, uh, convicted of our sin, uh, assured of your forgiveness, uh, and trained to live lives that honour you uh, through the Lord Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, what is it that you long for? Uh, we all long for different things. We have different desires that drive us. Uh, we have little kids that long to be big kids. Uh, when they're big kids, teenagers long for freedom from the constraints of their parents and of school. Uh, young men long for a girlfriend, uh, the engaged couples among us, uh, are there no doubt longing for uh, that wedding day to come around? Young married couples themselves often long to become parents and if that time comes, young parents long for just a few hours of uninterrupted sleep. <laughs> they, they don't know what all that longing was about. We all long for different things, don't we? Uh, what is it that you long for. Now last week we uh, began our new series in Romans with Paul's greeting in chapter 1, uh, a greeting that is saturated with the gospel of God, uh, the good news of the promised son of David, declared through his resurrection from the dead to be the son of God, 
who now calls all people to the obedience of faith. And this morning we get to see the second half of that greeting. And as we do, we see that Paul really has his heart on his sleeve here. He writes unashamedly about what it is that he longs for. He longs for a people that he's never met. He longs to be with them. He longs to encourage them. And most of all, he longs to proclaim the gospel to them. And why is that? What is it that drives Paul's longing for this group of people that are so far away from him, this group of people that he's never met? Well, the reason is actually the big idea for the whole letter of Romans. And so in this passage, we don't just see Paul's longing, his heart on his sleeve. We actually see him lay the foundation that he's going to build on through the 16 chapters of this letter to the Romans. And we'll see how it can change our longings too. So keep your Bibles open uh, so that you can follow along. We're looking at these verses under three headings this morning. First, Paul's prayerfulness. Then Paul's longing. And finally, God's power. First, Paul's prayerfulness. Uh, Paul tells the Romans of his prayers to God through Jesus for all of them. Prayers that we see are overflowing with thankfulness. Have a look at your Bibles. Uh, See what he writes in verse 8. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul's thankful for the Romans. He prays to God for all of them. Uh, As we heard last week, they are God's people in Rome, called to belong to him. But in this second part of Paul's greeting, he shows us they don't just belong to God as his possession, like a slave is owned by a slave master. They've actually been called into relationship with him. And so Paul is able to call God, my God. It's the God he's in a relationship with. He's the God of the Romans, the God that they are in a relationship with. This, in fact, is what God has been working towards all through the Bible. The constant refrain of the Old Testament is, I will be their God and they will be my people. And now, through Jesus, this is the relationship that any Christian believer can enjoy with the Almighty God. Called to belong to his family, loved by him, able to pray to him as my God and my Father. And as Paul prays, you see that he's overflowing with thankfulness. He can't help expressing it. It just flows out of him. And the reason that he gives in verse 8 is that their faith is being talked about through all the world. Now, in some ways, that's not surprising, is it? Rome uh, is the the centre of the known world. And news goes out from there. Everyone was interested in the gossip that comes from the capital of the empire. And yet it's still striking because Paul has already made a big deal about faith in his greeting. And we saw it in verse 5 last week. Paul's mission as an apostle, called by God, was to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of God's name among all the nations. He'll close the letter in chapter 16 with a similar deliberate reminder about how well known their obedience of faith is. He says in chapter 16, verse 19... 
for your obedience, that is the obedience that comes from faith that is talked about for 16 chapters, your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. Paul's letting this little church know that their faith is being noticed all over the empire. Sister churches are watching them. Their faith is on display. And through them, God's name is being glorified among all the nations. Their faith is literally the first reason that Paul prays for them. It's first on his prayer list. It's of the utmost importance to him. And we can expect that he's going to talk about faith a lot more through this letter. And so he thanks God for their faith. But that's not all he prays for. He thanks God for their faith because that reflects his mission. But he's longing for something else. See how he prays in verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. It's a very serious thing to call God as your witness, isn't it? Uh, But that's how genuine Paul is. God himself can bear witness to how sincerely Paul prays for and longs for these Christians that he's never met. He prays and prays and prays for them. He mentions them always in his prayers, he says. Even though he's never met them face to face, he wouldn't know them if he walked past them in the street. But he prays because he longs to be with them. We'll see why in a moment, but first just notice a few things. Notice... Notice the example of his prayerfulness. He's a great example for us, isn't he? Paul's prayerfulness is a God-given example for us to imitate. I think at least in part, that example is why Paul starts almost all of his letters with reports of what he's been praying for. Paul's a leader in God's church. We're meant to follow leaders. And so he's setting a pattern, an example for all of us to follow in how he prays and what he prays for. We're to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. I wonder, if you're a leader, do you set an example in the way that you pray? You know, Whether you're the pastor of a church, whether you're Joshua Wall or you're one of our elders, whether you lead a growth group or whether you lead your family, The people that you are leading are watching and noticing. Your faith is on display. And as you lead, you are called to model this sort of persistent, earnest prayerfulness for the people that you lead. I think we can be so thankful that we have leaders like that at St John's. I can say this without embarrassment because I'm not one of them. Uh, But in Josh and Wal and in our elders, we have leaders who persistently and earnestly pray for us. They set an example for us to imitate. We should be so thankful to God for leaders like that. And just listen to Paul's thankfulness. Thankfulness in prayer like that doesn't just come naturally. It needs to be taught and modelled and shown We need to be reminded that we have so much to be thankful for. And that's what Paul's doing. Paul lets us into his prayer life to show us 
that we have so much to thank God for in Jesus. Who have you noticed in our church family that can't help but overflow with thankful prayer? Who have you noticed? Keep an eye out for those people. Get alongside them and learn from their example. You can find lots of them at our prayer meeting before the service every Sunday. Get along there and imitate their example. Let's be thankful in Jesus. Let's be like Paul. Let's be like those faithful prayers as they imitate Jesus. Paul is prayerful, but we also see that he is longing. That's our second point, Paul's longing. This is really where we see Paul's heart on his sleeve, which is very unusual, actually, for the first century. Uh, Edwin Judge uh, is a, a professor from Macquarie University in Sydney. He says that there's no writer of antiquity who exposes himself so ruthlessly to direct human contact and reveals himself to others with such candour and directness as does Paul. That's a bit wordy. What he's saying is it's unusual for the first century how open Paul is about his longing for them. No one expresses themselves like that in the first century. But see how Paul writes from verse 11. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. I've often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You can almost feel his eagerness and his affection coming off the page. He longs to see these precious brothers and sisters so that he can strengthen them, so that he can build them up and help them become more firmly established in their faith. He sees them as family because that's what they are family he hasn't even met yet. But it's not just that Paul is going to go and he's going to encourage them. He says they'll encourage him too. That's what Christians are meant to do, isn't it? We are called not just to be encouraged once a week by the sermon from up the front. We are called to mutually encourage one another. And that happens, says Paul, by each other's faith. You know, if you're struggling as a Christian, if you're sputtering along in your Christian life, in your following of Jesus, it could be because you're trying to do it on your own. Uh, The sport that I did when I was growing up was swimming. Uh, Swimming is definitely an individual sport. It was just me in the water, up and down that black line on the bottom of the pool. All of my success or my lack of success depended on no one but me. Being a Christian is not like that. The obedience of faith is a team sport. Each of us depend on one another. God grows us through that mutual encouragement that we get in each other's obedience of faith. So if you're trying to do it on your own, if you head straight for the car park after church, 
If you don't meet up with other Christians during the week, if you don't let Christian brothers and sisters in on your struggles with sin, if you treat your faith like I did in my swimming, just me and the black lion, then you are going to struggle in your faith. One of the most important gifts that God gives us to keep us growing is one another. Paul knows that, and that's why he's longing to go to Rome. So he can encourage them and they can encourage him. He's been longing for some time. He says he's often tried to make plans to get across to see them. He's planned and planned and planned, but each time he's been prevented. But now, he says, at last he hopes the time has come that he might reap some harvest among them. Uh, What sort of harvest does he have in mind? Uh, Could he mean new converts? A harvest of new believers from the one million or so Romans who are living in the world's largest city of the time. One million people waiting to hear the gospel. Could he mean a harvest of new believers? Or could he mean a harvest of righteousness, of growing maturity in the existing believers in the Roman church? Like the ripening of grains of wheat before harvest time. Which is it, a harvest of converts or a harvest of maturity among Christians? Well, I think here Paul is, is a little bit like the little girl in the old El Paso ad, you know, why not both? Uh, both are part of the gospel harvest that Paul has been enlisted to reap. As we heard last week, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and he was charged with being the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle to the non-Jewish world. And so everywhere he went, Paul reaped a harvest of new converts. He preached the gospel so that people would put their trust in Jesus for the first time. You see that through the book of Acts, don't you? Paul is busy going around all of the Mediterranean preaching and planting churches full of new believers. But he longs for those baby Christians then to grow up into maturity too for their faith to keep expressing itself in obedience. Remember his mission in verse 5? Paul's received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul so longs to see these brothers and sisters, to be with them, to reap that harvest among them. I wonder, what is it that we long for? Among all of those things that we want and all those things that we desire, do we long most deeply for a gospel harvest where God has placed us? That's what Paul longs for. And what is it that's driving Paul's longing? You see, it's one thing to long... Uh, for someone that you know and that you already love deeply, but it's something else entirely to long for and love someone you've never even met, isn't it? What drives that sort of longing and that sort of love? What is it that explains Paul's prayerfulness? The answer is God's power. That's our third point. Have a look at what Paul writes from verse 14. He says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, that's non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. 
So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. The source of Paul's prayerfulness, the source of his great longing for his brothers and sisters who he's never met, is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes. It's the gospel of God that drives this affection, this longing of Paul. The good news about his son, that Jesus lived the righteous life that we refuse to live was crucified for our sins and on the third day was raised from the dead, that Jesus, God has made both Lord and Christ, who rules and brings salvation. Paul longs to go and preach that to them again because we need to hear that over and over and over again. We need to hear it from one another because we so quickly forget, don't we? We willingly forget, actually. We choose to forget the truth about God. And that's something that Paul's going to help us think about in the coming weeks. But Paul says he's under obligation to keep reminding them of this gospel. Literally, he's, he's under a debt. He's in debt to these Roman Christians. Whether they know it or not, he owes them. God has called Paul to be be an apostle, to preach the gospel. And so rightly, he feels his great obligation to pass on God's gospel, the power of God to everyone that he meets, to Greeks and non-Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish, to Jews first and then to the Gentiles. He's so eager to preach the gospel because it's for everyone. He's eager to preach it to the Romans, but he's eager to preach it to everyone. Because everyone needs to hear the gospel of God's power. Both us who are inside the church and those who, for the moment, are outside of it. As uh, Tim Keller says, the gospel is the way that people are called into faith and it's the way that people grow in faith. Through the power of God, through his gospel, we need to keep hearing the gospel. See, hearing the gospel again and again is how we become more prayerful like Paul. Getting God's gospel deep into our hearts is how God transforms our longings and our love for one another. Just look at Paul. That's what's transformed him. And so finally, at the culmination of his greeting, Paul unfurls the banner that's going to hang over the rest of his letter, the foundation that he'll keep building on through the rest of Romans. See what he says in verse 16 and 17 again. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul says the gospel is God's power for salvation. And why is it powerful? Because in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. 
a righteousness that comes from outside of us, uh, a righteousness that is an alien righteousness, as Martin Luther called it. It's a righteousness that is foreign to us. It's not something that is inherent, not something we can produce on our own, but now a righteousness that is ours in the gospel. God's righteousness, not from us, but for us. Received and then lived out by faith. From faith for faith. Or faith from first to last. It's such a grand vision that Paul paints that it's going to take the next 15 chapters for him to unpack it. From chapters 1 to 8, he'll explain the nature of this saving faith that we've received. Chapters 9 to 11, then he'll tell us how God saves both Jews and Gentiles. And then in chapters 12 to 16, he's going to show us how to live out the obedience that comes from faith. That's what we've got to look forward to over uh, the next few months. Paul's entire letter is about the gospel of the Lord Jesus. God's gospel, of which Paul isn't ashamed. The power of God unleashed on the Roman Empire and on the entire world by the resurrected Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And in that gospel, Paul says, God is transforming the world. As we listen to his words, as we are reminded of them by each other again and again, we are reminded of his righteousness that is given to us. As we get together and spur one another on in the obedience of faith, God's powerful gospel reshapes all of our lives. The power of that gospel transformed Paul from someone who was out to destroy the church into someone who prayed with overflowing thanks for people that he hadn't even met yet. Into someone who longed to meet them so that he could bless them and encourage them to keep going in the faith that he previously tried to destroy. That's how powerful the gospel is to transform our hearts and our minds. And it's that same gospel power that is at work among us right now. Is that gospel power shaping your prayers? Is it growing you in a longing to encourage one another? How about we pray and we ask God that it would. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we long to have the prayerfulness of Paul. And we pray for our longings to be reshaped like Paul's longings. And so we praise you and we thank you for the power of God in the gospel. For our Lord Jesus who lived the righteous life, who died in our place and rose again in power, calling us to the obedience that comes from faith in him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.